We spend money where we think we need to. We don't do it stupidly and we do it in ways that we think is going to benefit us in, in the future. So if you're doing that and you're investing in the right areas of how, what are the things I need to invest in to grow this business, whether it be I need to bring on salespeople six months before I want them to actually be productive, whether it's I need to invest in the enablement organization so that we train our people around value selling. Those are the kind of things that, that you think about, right? And you try to balance between the two, but it's always a balance act between what you're spending for the now because it's cash out of pocket to what's going to pay off and you can't make big bets you need to do it in so-called increments right david and elias always had a concept of experimenting right let's go experiment in this area let's experiment with this product before we go all in with regards to it and i think that's a nice way to go figure out is this going to work or is it not going to work without making a big bet Hey, this is Danny, and welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. You know, we're not just another boring finance or procurement podcast. We explore the sometimes challenging stories and learnings when people, spend, and organizations meet, and how to drive sustainable growth while still balancing control and agility. We have vulnerable, honest, and raw conversations with only the most forward-thinking CFOs, finance executives, and procurement leaders who are challenging the status quo that the way we've done it is just not enough. This is Spend Culture Stories. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. This is Danny, and we have another really great CFO for you today. So today we have Jim Kelleher. He is a four-time CFO of venture-backed startups. And, you know, he has background and expertise in helping build and scale tech startups from really the ground up all the way to, you know, hypergrowth. And speaking of hypergrowth, he is currently the chief financial officer of Drift.com, one of the fastest growing tech companies in Boston with more than 375 employees between its offices in Boston, San Francisco, and Tampa. You know, as a marketer, I'm personally a huge fan of Drift. Um, I've been to their hypergrowth conference. I've watched their webinars. They do some really amazing work in the space of conversational marketing. So Jim, I'm so glad you can join us today and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Danny. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, this is one question we always like to ask all of our guests. Um, we always want to ask them, how did you get started in your career in finance as an executive? You know, what made you interested in pursuing this career path? And is there anything that you wish you knew before becoming a finance leader? Yeah, I was one of seven kids in an Irish Catholic, you know, family in Boston. And um, my father was in finance. My older brother was in finance. So I was strong mathematic skills. And so, you know, it was a little bit kind of following that path that, that sent me on that way. And then once I started to get involved with it, particularly in school and then in my first couple of internships, I really liked the idea of creating businesses and building businesses, right? And so I got more and more into it. So I think it all started a little bit, you know, in the family. Is there anything that I would have liked to have known? Not really, to be honest. You learn as you go on in life and in, in industry. So I'm not sure if, if I had known some of the stuff coming out, whether it would have been good or bad for me to know some of it. So I don't think there was anything particular that I would like to have known prior to going into it. Yeah, fair enough. So, you know, it, we're living in a really interesting time right now, of course, with the pandemic and now everybody is working remotely. What was your experience like working at Drift during COVID-19? How did the company adapt to these changes? And, you know, were there any sacrifices that you had to make during this time? 
As you said in the intro, we're one of the fastest high-tech companies in growing in Boston, right? Um, we had hired 75 people between January 1st and March 12th on a base of 300. So we're up to 375 employees. And we still had 75 recs open when so-called the pandemic or COVID hit. So we were immediately able to sort of pivot and kind of take our foot off the gas and press pause for a little bit to figure out, okay, how is this pandemic really going to affect our businesses? Um, we mm-hmm. have been in work from home. We were one of the first companies in Boston to go entirely work from home on March 12th, even prior to the mayor um, instituting it in the city. So we've been able to adapt to that pretty easily from both a sales, customer success and development perspective. But, you know, I, th- I think we've, um, we've adjusted our business model. We've done really well to kind of push through it. We have not had um, really any reduction in force here because of the business discipline that we've had. And, you know, in turn, some of the business opportunities have been presented to us through COVID. So I think as a business, we adjusted pretty well and took our foot off the gas just at the right time. Yeah. And that's really awesome to hear. It means you guys are really agile in the way that you respond to, you know, change and difficulties. A lot of companies, sadly, didn't really make it through this time. And I feel like the companies that do make it through this time do come out very strong, much stronger than before. Yeah, I think we did a nice job of not getting too far out over our skis, right? And therefore, mm-hmm. we were able to sort of make that adjustment. And I said in an employee meeting, I think we will be a better company coming through this pandemic than we were going in because it really made us focus on where is the important area to spend and where is the important area to continue to invest. And let's only do what's really necessary to help grow the business, take care of our customers, and you know, really develop the product. So we put some real focus around making sure we're spending our money in the right spot. So where would you say that you doubled down and spend versus the parts where you had to cut in the business, just out of curiosity? I think it was really focused around um, more and more of our business is coming out of what we would call mid-market and enterprise sales. And we really sort of doubled down our investment to make sure we were moving up into the mid-market and into the enterprise. So it was focused around what was going to help get us increase our revenue in those areas and sort of position the business to be stronger in the enterprise. And some of that was around sales. Some of that was in marketing area and some of it was in development as we focused our development resources. It also didn't necessarily mean we had incremental stuff. So we took some resources internally and focused them on some of the the projects that were more important to us, right? As opposed to add heads to it, right? We pulled some people off some mm-hmm. projects and put them onto, uh, onto other things. So those were some of the areas. The other thing we really did good as a business was, you know, we had eight full-time recruiters because we were out recruiting 75 people in a quarter, right? We had 75 open recs. They on average had 10 or 12 recs. We took that recruiting organization and we repositioned a number of those um, uh, those professionals into our business development area and into our sales area where they were off. Instead of trying to recruit employees to come work for us or prospects, they were out recruiting prospects to become our customers and stuff. So we were able to adjust our workforce without having to sort of reduce our workforce in areas that, got, that weren't going to get as much attention like recruiting, right? And we had the flexibility of both management teams as well as the people in which we were able to go do that. So we feel really good about the way we've done that as a company. I love that, Jim. Like it's very resourceful in the way that, you know, you're deploying talent. And also for these people too, they're able to develop new skills when, you know, things like this happen. They're able to switch into a new role really quickly. Plus, we felt we built the company and a big part of the company was the employee base, right? And so accordingly, we didn't want to take apart something that we felt really good 
that we had built and that we knew that, look, eventually the pandemic's going to be behind us. And, you know, in the end, we were going to have to, you know, replace that or rebuild that. And we felt good about what we had and we wanted to make sure we retained that. Yeah, absolutely. How would you describe um, the spend culture of Drift? You know, what are the attitudes, beliefs and processes around spending for the company as it sits right now? You know, we have a whole series of disciplines within the company, one of which is called frugal, right? And I think that's how we spend our money frugally, right? I would not say that we are cheap, but that we are spending it in the right fashion. And both our employee base and our management team, we focus on spending the money like it's a, like it's our own money. And I think as a result of that, people appreciate it, right? And I think people have seen through this pandemic that some of the things that we were doing, you know, have really paid off, right? Because of the fact that we were focused in the right areas, we were able to um, to do some things that, or retain some people that maybe we couldn't have done had we, again, not to use the same phrase again, gotten out over our skis and started spending too much in two areas. So the word frugal is the word that we use in the company. And I think is a good example of like, how, uh, how are we spending the money and how are we focus on managing our investments? Yeah, I love that. I love how you specify the difference between um, being frugal versus being cheap. I feel like um, these terms are, you know, thrown around pretty easily in terms of like the same thing, but it's a very clear distinction that you mentioned there. I agree. So you've worked at some really amazing companies before Drift as well, and you know, that scaled rapidly throughout your career as a finance executive. What do you think are some of the biggest learnings and accomplishments uh, during those particular roles there as well? I think the biggest learning I've had, uh, I've been at, this is my fourth time uh, being a CFO. I was also a VP of finance at a company called Parametric Technology back in the 1990s that at the time was one of the fastest, was the fastest growing company on the East Coast. And at one point growing faster than Microsoft, both um, revenue wise and capital wise, actually um, market cap wise. And what I've learned in all those environments to try to take through all those environments is that finance really exists to help the business grow, right? And our opportunity is, you know, how we control the business and manage the business, but that at the same time help it grow, right? And are we doing the right things to help the business grow? And sometimes that means we have to take some risk in some areas. Sometimes that means we have to trust some people or some processes in other areas. But I think the biggest thing is focus on doing what is what is one right but two that's going to help help the business grow and if you put your business mind on as opposed to your accounting or your finance mind i think you'll be a better finance professional for the for the company that you're at yeah that's really really good advice <laughs> having your business mind on rather than the finance accounting mind <laughs> i think that's really interesting cuz it seems like where we're moving right now is this new role of um, the new CFO, where they're more of like a business partner to the organization rather than just being someone who, you know, is holding the purse strings, whereas the one leading the control side. So what do you think as a CFO of the future or forward thinking CFO are your current priorities and strategic goals in this period of time moving forward? Yeah, I think our priorities are setting up the organization to to scale, right? And so our mission for Drift is to build an enduring tech company and build an enduring tech company in Boston. And in order to do that, we need to make sure we have the right 
processes and controls in order to scale the business and help the business grow. And so what we are really focused on as an organization, whether it's finance or whether it's customer success or sales organization, is how we do that and how are we positioning ourselves for the growth into the future. And, you know, we're making sure that when we put in systems, they're going to be things that will be there when we're, you know, about to enter, where we have the opportunity to enter the public markets in a couple of years, right? And so we are investing for that future. And those are things we're focused on in the company and within the finance organization. What do you think will be your biggest challenges getting there? Anytime you're growing in so-called hypergrowth, the challenge is to sort of keep up with it, right? And so um, it is to try to make sure the systems and the processes can keep up with the growth of the company. So the biggest challenge we have is really how do we keep up with that growth? The second biggest challenge the company has is um, we are continuing to go higher and higher up into the customer base, right? And so we are selling into the mid-market and into the enterprise. And that's a different sale than what we had a couple of years ago when a big part of the business was coming out of the SMB business. And so therefore, as we mature as a company or grow as a company, we need to grow in that skill set with how do we take care of enterprise customers How do we show value when we're selling to enterprise customers? How do we provide the services that enterprise customers need in order to be successful with our product set? And how do we then develop the platform so that it can continue to scale within the organizations that we've sold into and we can continue to expand our footprint in those organizations? So the biggest challenges for us was kind of how we do all that stuff in a scaling or growing environment. Yep. Absolutely. Going up market is always a, a pretty big strategic shift and challenge in many companies. Yeah. So Jim, you mentioned working with other departments on these strategic initiatives and, you know, going up market. How can a CFO best collaborate with the rest of the organization to really get towards those goals? Because, you know, collaboration obviously is something that is super important. But as a finance leader, it's also the people side that you need to iron out as well. Yeah, I think it is all about goal setting and making sure that as the CFO, you're on the same page as the rest of the management team and that you then have flexibility around doing the right things to help a department or another executive get to that, that goal set. So here at Drift, we are really focused around, you know, one set of company goals and we all understand, you know, sales has a job to do, customer success has a job to do, finance has a job to do. We respect each other with regards to those jobs, but at the same time, we're trying to help one another um, and have flexibility for, to, to get overall the company successful in accomplishing the goals for the other executives. So I think it's, a, it's certainly a trust factor. It's a transparency factor. It's, you know, making sure you're all on one page and it's making sure you all understand you're all working towards the same goal, which is to create a successful company. What do you think are the important questions a CFO should ask in order for you to truly align as a team? Like what are some of the processes that you've built out at Drift? Yeah, it's around from a sales perspective, making sure we're, you know, investing in the kind of people and uh, that will help the sales org grow, right? And so we're a big part of helping the recruiting process. It's having 
the flexibility in negotiating with customers at certain points, that there are certain things we can negotiate on and there are other things that we need to be harder on in order to protect the company's assets or IP and making sure that, you know, the sales organization understands those areas too and they understand the reasoning for why we can't do certain things, right? We're open in that discussion. And it's being flexible in some cases where, look, we can give up some stuff that in turn, subsequently, you know, we can get, you know, favors from the other organization where from the other professionals in the organizations where we might need help in areas, whether that's around, a, you know, a cash collection issue, whether that's around a renewal issue at the time a, a contract comes up. Um, so you need to have clarity around processes, but at the same time, you need to just be, you know, working on growing the business and doing what's right for the business. Absolutely. You mentioned early on in our conversation that, you know, Drift is thinking about going public, which is super exciting. That's one of um, the goals that you have right now. And I know you've led the IPO at LogMeIn as well. So for organizations that are hoping to go public as their eventual destination, what do you think are the things that they should have in place before going public? The big thing is you need to make sure you have control around the business, right? And so you need to make your you have the right legal processes and financial processes and acceptance and particularly in the sales organization of doing good, clean business, right? And, and making sure that that business is clean and solid. The second most important thing relates to around also to control is the ability to forecast the business. Forecasting not only from a sales perspective, but an expense perspective or renewal perspective. So you got to be able to repeat it, right? And as you go through the quarters or the months, to make the business repeatable and make it forecastable. Those, as you enter the public markets, that are the most important thing to have. One, you only get to approach the markets if you have a business model that, in fact, you know, makes sense and can scale. So you got to assume that you have that. The next thing you need is, can I forecast this business and can I keep this business in control as it continues to grow? Yeah, absolutely. Having that foresight um, for the future and seeing the health of the organization. Definitely something that's super important. I'm just curious also, since you've been at Drift during like um, a large portion of its growth, what are some of the changes when, and when it comes to the tech side and also the processes side from a finance angle? We've certainly expanded our systems, right? And to have developed our systems whether they be our financial systems or our reporting systems. We have a lot of data around our customers and we do a lot of KPI tracking and customer tracking and what makes a customer healthy and unhealthy. So we've done a lot of incremental investment in those areas. And then we invested a lot in our people and how we develop them and, and train them and bring in the right management team, in fact, to, you know, to get them further along in their careers and at the same time help us grow as, as a company. So I think we're investing in those are the major areas that we're investing in. I love that. I love um, all the things that you're investing in are very long term gains, because I feel like sometimes for startups um, or most drifts, not a startup anymore, but for smaller companies, uh, they tend to get in this trap of trying to chase the short term goals rather than, you know, a longer term vision. Yeah, I think that's what really makes a difference. Agree. And for small startups, part of that is required or necessary, right? Because some of them are living, you know, hand to mouth, right, from a cash perspective. And, and therefore, they are, you know, tactically doing things in order to ensure that they can, um, you know, make it to the next month or the next quarter, right? Here at Drift, we're, we're very, very well capitalized. And we went into this 
company, David and Elias, the two founders, went into this with the idea of we're building something that's going to last, right? And therefore, we're building something to endure and we want to do the right things that are going to have us be that enduring, lasting company. I love that. And I think a question to add on to that as well, since we're on the startup angle, how can a startup that is fast growing that really wants to, you know, reach that point of profitability and endurance balance the financial controls, but also with agility for growth? Do you think these can come hand in hand um, and how can you do that? Yeah, I think you can, right? You, you just need to be smart and you need to be business orientated about it, right? It goes back to the word you asked was how do you spend, what's your spend culture life? It's frugal, right? We spend money where we think we need to. We don't do it stupidly and we do it in ways that we think is going to benefit us in, in the future. So if you're doing that and you're investing in the right areas of how, what are the things I need to invest in to grow this business, whether it be I need to bring on salespeople six months before I want them you know, to actually be productive, whether it's I need to invest in the enablement organization so that we train our people around value selling. Those are the kind of things that, that you think about, right? And you try to balance between the two. But it's always a balancing act between what you're spending for the now, because it's cash out of pocket, to what's going to pay off. And you can't make big bets. You need to do it in so-called increments, right? David and Elias always had a concept of experimenting, right? Let's go experiment in this area. Let's experiment with this product before we go all in with regards to it. And I think that's a nice way to go figure out, is this going to work or is it not going to work without making a big bet? Absolutely. It's almost like what the developers say, starting with the MVP and then moving forward with that. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. So I know um, we're running out of time here. Um, I did want to ask you, what do you think are the biggest challenges that a tech finance leader is probably going to face in the next two to three years, just from your perspective? In today's environment, one of the biggest challenges is what's the economy going to look like and what is capital raising going to look like? I think that is still a big question mark in the markets right now. If you have the right product and you have the right business model, you're going to be able to get money in the market. But it is going to be, I think, tougher. And therefore, businesses or finance executives are going to need to have planned a model that's going to scale. And I think the capital markets, whether they be the IPO markets or the venture markets or the PE markets, are going to look for that. Like, how are you going to scale this business and how are you going to scale it to profitability? I don't think money is going to be as easy as it has been in the past if it's you know ever been easy in um, for companies. So I think that's number one. And number two is, it's a little bit related to it, but it's around growth, right? What are the growth opportunities going to be? Are you investing in the right areas and in, in where the growth is going to be in the next couple of years? Absolutely. Thank you so much for your insights, Jim. I'll ask you one last personal question before we end the interview for today. If you had a do-over in your career, what would you do differently? You know, that is a great question. I mean, you don't get a lot of chances to do things over, but there's a certain point where I left one company without fully sort of understanding what the next step was going to be into the next company. And it was an opportunity. I'm all about building enduring companies building organizations that are going to last and going in and, you know, helping companies grow. And in one particular career move, it was, it was moving into an environment that looked all from the outside as if it was grow, grow, grow. But in essence, when you got in on the inside, the objectives were a little bit differently. And so if I had a do-over, I would probably get a little bit smarter about that opportunity before going in there. And I spent a couple of years there and we got some things done, but 
it wasn't what I had expected it um, going in. And, and I think I would have spent some more time understanding the, um, the environment and the business plan and the models before sort of jumping in with both feet. I love that. I love how you're um, able to be vulnerable with the audience like that and also being able to reflect back on your learnings and apply them for the future. I think that's a strong trait in a leader. Oh, lovely. Thank you for that, Danny. You and also yeah. learning more about how you grew the team at Drift as well. Thank you very much, Danny. Thanks for thanks for having me. I, I greatly appreciate it. Jim, um, just wondering if the audience wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way to do so? The best way would be to email me directly at Drift, J. Kelleher, K-E-L-L-I-H-E-R, at Drift.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jim. And for the audience who's listening, please make sure to check out Drift's website as well on www.drift.com. Thank you guys for listening to this episode, and we will see you again in the next two weeks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another great guest. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes for the Apple listeners out there. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a spend management solution that is making managing business spend simple. I know there's still a lot of you that are using spreadsheets, credit cards, and expense forms, or a mix of the above. Perhaps you're still using a procurement module in your ERP that is clunky and outdated. Procurify helps you implement proactive controls so that purchases are tracked and approved by the right person before it hits accounts payable. Never have to worry about a surprise invoice ever again. There's a reason why over 400 customers around the world love us. Our award-winning, easy-to-use system is loved by people everywhere. It's actually a purchasing system that your employees will actually want to use, believe it or not. Check us out at Procurify.com, so that's www.procurify.com, and mention the podcast for a sweet listener special on our packages. 